everyone, and welcome to another edition of Aspen Answered. Today, Eric, Katie, and I are so excited um, to bring you Dr. Glenn Roberts, who served as the 24th president of ASP from 20, uh, 2009 to 2010. Dr. Roberts is a professor emeritus at the Norwegian University of Sports Science, um, and he's also an inaugural inductee to the Sports Psychology Hall of Fame from the International Society of Sports Psychology. Uh, so, Glenn, thank you so much for joining us today and, and spending your afternoon with us. Um, could we start by you giving us your 30-second elevator pitch bio about where you are now? <laughs> well, basically, uh, I'm, I'm retired, or as Jane Clark likes to put it, repurposed. <laughs> but, um, but I'm an emeritus professor at the Norwegian University, as you quite rightly said. I'm still working on the Eurofit European project um, and co-advising two doctoral students. I go into the office about once or twice a week and I try to keep up with my, with my publishing and uh, that's my few early remarks. <laughs> that doesn't sound very retired, so I like the idea of repurpose that you go through. <laughs> that sounds like more than some of my colleagues are working right now and they're full time. <laughs> Harsh. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about the Eurofit aspect? Yeah, it's um, it, it, it was very interesting. It's it's actually four countries, and what we did is that we um, got Premier League football clubs. I mean, European football. You play it with the feet, um, and 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 um, we got these. 15 Premier League clubs um, and they agreed to let us use their facilities and we then got their fans and we picked the fans who were obese and we put them through an exercise program using the facilities of the sports clubs. Huh. And uh, of course it was incredibly popular with the fans. We you know we loaded up with uh, all the people we needed uh, you know very quickly. And we got a grant from the EU Commission for uh, 8 million euros. And we were able to run the program in four different countries with 15 different teams. And we had some big teams, Arsenal, Manchester City, um, Sporting Lisbon, and, and, and so on. So we had, we, had, we had the big clubs. It was That's fun. amazing. Yeah. I love the idea of like coming in and working out. Like I think if I was in that position, I'd be wearing my jersey and coming in like I was ready to go on the pitch and be ready for it. That's what they did. <laughs> and in a couple of occasions, sometimes some of the players oh. would actually come and work out with them. Oh, that's cool. So, so for, the, for the fans, it was, I mean, and, and the program was successful too. They, they managed to lose their weight and they kept their weight off even 12 months afterwards. Wow. 12 months, that's incredible. Mm. What a great idea of really incorporating sport into like lifestyle change. And then I'm not that surprised that you didn't have trouble getting participants. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> that oh, that's was, great. And it was fun to do too. <laughs> that's right. As a, the PI or one of the co-PIs, I'm sure you needed to tour all the facilities beforehand to make sure they were up to snuff. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we went to several of the, uh, of the you know, had meet our meetings. We met twice a year for the five years the project was going. And, you know, we met at the clubs, uh, you know, Arsenal, Manchester City and things like that. So, yeah, it was good for us, too. It was fun. <laughs> It's nice. It's collaborative. Everything works that way. Yes, I like yes, that. exactly. Exactly. Well, perfect, Glenn. So in our podcast, what we really hope to better understand is how the key figures on our field, like you are, got to where they are today. So we'd love if you would give us a bit of background on your pathway to where you are today. And in that include any significant moments that maybe formed your experience in sports psychology. Okay. Yeah. I've been thinking about this. Um, I'm a Brit, as you can probably detect from the, the, from the voice. Um, I was at Loughborough and I did my BSc at Loughborough University. And it wasn't possible to pursue an advanced degree at Loughborough those days. Uh, and I'm talking the 60s. Um, and so I applied to 
grad school in, in, in the US and I got accepted at Wisconsin and at University of Massachusetts. And in my naivety, I looked at the map of the United States and there's Massachusetts, there's Wisconsin. Clearly it has to be Massachusetts because it's so much closer to Britain than, than, than Wisconsin. I mean, you know, talk about a naive choice <laughs> because I could have worked with Larry Rarick at, um, at, uh, at Wisconsin and he was a very famous person at the time, but I did not know that. Anyway, so um, I then applied for a PhD after my master's and I, this is where luck kind of enters into the picture a little bit. I wrote a paper for a professor, Lynn Vendine, at Massachusetts, and she liked it, and she sent it to Earl Ziegler at the University of Illinois, who also liked it, and he offered me a, pl a place in the program. Wow. So that's how I got into Illinois. Um, and, you what know, was and the paper about? Physical education in Russia. Huh. And, and I wrote a 65-page paper as a master's student and my colleagues wrote about eight to ten pages, you know, and, but, but it was embarrassing to me because when I moved there, I did not know what the criteria of excellence mm. was. And so I, I totally over, overshot. Um, and it was embarrassing to me, you know, because, you know, I had this thing that went clump onto the table and the other people... <laughs> Uh, had these smaller ones. So, so, but anyway, Earl Ziegler liked it and actually it became my first publication. He wanted me to tone it down and shorten it into a publication. And I did uh, in, in, in the journal at the time. It was called Physical Education Around the World. Huh. So th that's... What a great uh, lesson though that sometimes like something that you view at the time as an embarrassment ends up being an opportunity down the line. <laughs> yes. And then I went to Illinois, and of course, um, those days, Illinois, and still is to some extent, it was an incredible university. I mean, the atmosphere, there are super scientists there. We have so many Nobel Prize winners, uh, and, and in fact, we had one of the only people to get two Nobel Prizes in the same area. There's only been two people, and he was one of them. Um, John Bardeen was his name and uh, you know so the atmosphere at Illinois was uh, I mean the intellectual zeitgeist was just so incredible uh, and I'm talking about the 60s now so the other thing that happened that you know serendipity luck whatever you want to call it when I was at Illinois I, I, I was with some incredible students um, and I learned so much from them, more than I did from the faculty, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I was there with Dick Schmidt, Dan Landers, Rainer Martins, Mike Pollock, Mike Wade, and, and other people, you know, students who went on to do really good things in their, in their various fields. Then Dan, Rainer, and myself went to the psych department, and we met up with a social psychologist uh, called Jim Davis, who was quite famous at the time, and he became our mentor. And that was a revelation because he was into social psychology. And those days, you know, social psychology was not particularly uh, popular. But I've joked, uh, you know, with, with Dan and Reiner in particular and a few others, that actually Jim Davis ought to be the father of modern sports psychology because, I mean, he... Uh, inspired so many of us because you have to remember at the time the big the big guns were Ogilvy and Tutko were all clinical they went into social psychology but then over time you know Reiner Dan myself and our students I mean for example Joan Duda Tara Scanlon Robin Veely Damon Burton Dan Gould Deb Feltz Mary Fry and a few others you know we kind of promoted the social psychology side of, of sports psychology and what I like to call the social cognitive um, sports psychology. So that was, that was a real significant experience for me is to be exposed to Jim Davis and be able to interact with those students. Um, my first job was at Kent State University 
um, which I really enjoyed, but of course it was very much a teaching university. And so I did a lot of teaching, but I did set up the psych lab there. Um, and I was there and witnessed actually the uh, Kent State Massacre oh, wow. in, in 1970. But that's a personal kind of an issue. It's even though it changed me quite radically politically. <laughs> sure. um, and my beard actually dates from that time. Um, they, 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 they treated me like a bit of a... I, because I saw it and I saw exactly what happened, um, a lot of people thought the students were at fault. And of course they weren't. Uh, it, was, it was a spontaneous shooting by the National Guard. And, uh, and so, you know, and I, def I was defending the students and I got, uh, you know, called a radical. So I decided, wow. I behave like a radical. I grew a beard and I still have. Yeah, lean into that. So that's, that's my May the 4th, 1970 beard. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But anyway, that's, that's, that's like a sideline um, a little bit. But then the most significant thing that happened to me in terms of my um, sports psychology and my, and my scientific approach and everything else is I, when I went to Illinois, I worked at the Children's Research Center. And at the research center at the time were colleagues were Carol Dweck, Carol Ames, John Nichols, Marty Mayer, and a few other people. I don't know if you know. What a lineup. The, wow. What exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and so, you know, serendipity, you know. And, and then John, in 1977, actually said, let's have a seminar just between ourselves. Because there was a lot of things going on at that particular time. And we won't have our students there. So we can say silly things without our students knowing about it. And that's what we did. And it was there that John introduced his um, ideas about the two conceptions of ability and, and how they, 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 they led into his model of uh, achievement goal theory. And after that seminar, uh, which was you know, very profound for me, all of us at that meeting, including Carol Dweck, and Carol Ames and Marty all changed their research direction to become more achievement goal kind of uh, uh, period. So the backdrop to that was also a period when psychology was undergoing, uh, you know, a, a, a radical change as well. I mean, the, 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 this was when the cognitive revolution occurred in psychology. Um, you know, the thought, you know, the, the, the mantra at the time was thoughts govern behavior. And of course, at that time, that was quite radical, uh, you know, because I was trained initially in Atkinson McClelland psychology. So it was in, in my area, which is a motivation, it was you approach success or you avoided failure, end of conversation. But of course, um, you know, that, 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 uh, uh, change during the, the during the seventies and eighties. Now, in these days of neuroscience and cognitive psychology, you know that's kind of mainstream. But at the time, it was a radical kind of a change uh, uh, for us. But I think the thing that I came away from Illinois with is that. You need people to set up a really stimulating uh, research and intellectual environment. Uh, I did my research on motivation and was blessed with those colleagues of mine. And I continued my collaboration with Marty Mayer, Carol Stweck and Ames. When you, when you have people like that around you, you just grow. You know, you know, how can you not grow and how can you not develop? So that was one of the professional lessons I learned at Illinois. When you've got good colleagues around you uh, in an open mastery learning environment, as I would term it, you get good research, good publications, good science. And so, I, you know, to me, that, that was um, total changed the way I look, looked at things and how I did my research from then on. 
I love the idea of you being in this field with all of these giants in psychology, but not only that, but like their field of study was about mastery. And so they're bringing these other people into it where it's not a a cutthroat environment. They understand the positive aspects that can come where everybody's collaborative. And so not only is it serendipitous that you were there at that time, but it's serendipitous that they were studying those things that they were studying at that time as well. No, that's right. Yeah, you know, um, it kind of reminded me recently when uh, Michaela Schifrin was interviewed on CNN. I don't know if you saw it, but, you know, if I'd have been closer to her, I would have gone up and hugged her. Um, they, they, because one of the commentators, male commentator, classic, um, asked her whether she liked to, you know, approach success or avoid failing. He said, oh, no, I, I just like the process, um, you know, I... I, 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 I just like to go and, 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 and ski down the hill. And if I make mistakes, I try to learn from them and, and things like that, you know. And, and so, you know, she said, oh, no, I don't compete against other people. I, I compete against myself. I mean, I mean, you know, I could have written, I could have written the script for her. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was just absolutely fantastic. But, yeah, your point about have a, a nice mastery climate is just... Yeah. Is, is just is just uh, is really important. <laughs> it's incredible because the field I think of sports psychology is already everyone is so connected, but we've interviewed so many people that have such rich ties to Illinois, and I just I feel so like envious of being in that of you all being in that like as Eric was saying, just like this like bastion of like knowledge and mastery and. It's incredible. Like the field wouldn't look like this if it wouldn't have been for the program that that Rainer had started at Illinois. Well, it wasn't Rainer that started it, but um, but it it uh, it, it it was uh, actually Dan Landers uh, and uh, Rainer and myself who, who set up the sports psychology program. Of course, Rainer got a lot of the notoriety uh, mainly because he was such a, an excellent researcher. I mean, he really produced, you know, lots of things, more, more than Dan and more than myself at the time. Um, and so he got, you know, he got a lot of notoriety. And then he wrote that little short little book, uh, you know, on sports psychology. And so he deserves a lot of credit, you know, for, for kind of popularizing um, sports psychology at the time. But, you know, Reiner left pretty quickly to go to Canada and, uh, and in 1975. And uh, I got there in 73. And uh, he, um, he came back pretty quickly afterwards. But that's when he set up his publishing business. So he wasn't, he wasn't very much... Um, as a researcher when he came back in 1976. So it, so it was very interesting. Uh, you know, Reiner's career took on a different, different direction. Glenn, I'm curious when you said kind of the three of you went and approached Jim Davis, was that just something where the three of you talked and said, this is something we need, this is something we branch to? Or, or what was that decision to go outside of the, the department that really looked for that additional mentorship and that additional perspective? To be honest, it was Dan Landers who did the course first and raved about it. And so Reiner and myself then went and also, um, mm. you know, did the course. And then we asked, and then we did other courses with Jim Davis other than that one basic course. And then we asked him if he would mentor us. Mm. And he, he and, and he did, he was on the PhD committee of each one of us. Uh, and and, and he, he was fantastic. And, and in fact, when I went back to Illinois, I became a very good friend of his. Um, you know, his, uh, his, yeah, he was a, a super teacher. And uh, those days, he used to come into the classroom with a cigarette uh, in his mouth <laughs> and, and he would keep lighting cigarettes during the course of the, you know, this was the 60s, you've got to remember. <laughs> so, but, but he, um, uh, yeah, he was he was so influential for all three of us, hmm. um, and then uh, and then uh, you know Dan and Reiner went into the Children's Research Center right from um, from their PhD, and I went I went to Kent State and came back four years later. But 
Um, and then Dan had left by then. And so it was Reiner and myself. And, uh, and, then, and then Reiner left. So it, was, so it was left to me to run the program from the non. Yeah. I appreciate you um, clarifying all of that. I think one of the things, one of the reasons why we wanted to do this podcast is just for what you just talked to us about these stories of this history that without asking about it, we just don't know or we know it incorrectly or like bits and pieces of that. So I really appreciate you sharing all of these stories with us. Yeah, well, yeah, good. It's, uh, you know, I have, um, that's my problem. I have too many stories, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you know, talking about um, my favorite, favorite story is about John Bardeen, the double Nobel Prize winner. He is also a, an avid golfer and um, he, he is reputed to have said, you know, I, got, I, was, I was more excited to get a hole in one on the 13th uh, in, at Champagne Country Club than I, than I heard about my second Nobel Prize. <laughs> I mean, at least the first Nobel Prize is yeah, still there. It's right, the second right, one. Right. That's just old hat by that point. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, it, yeah, the, the, it, it, it's very, very interesting. Huh. But, but anyway, yeah, you know, Reiner, you know, did fantastic work in another direction for sports psychology and, and, and kinesiology in general by becoming a publisher of choice for most of us. Uh, and then he set up, of course, uh, the first sports psychology journal. Uh, and Dan was the first editor uh, because Dan and I edited the precursor to that. Um, but then when, 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 uh, the, when the, the, it became the first issue of the journal, uh, and then it was the Journal of Sports Psychology, it later became Journal of Exercise and Sports Psychology, uh, when Diane Gill was the, was, was the editor. But um, yeah... You know, Reiner, Reiner, you know, we, we owe Reiner a real debt of gratitude for um, setting up that publishing firm, Human Kinetics, and, and, and helping to promote sports psychology. I feel like we interrupted you, Glenn. So if there's more of your pathway you want to share, we'd love to hear it. No, that's about, that's about, that's about it, basically, because then from then on, I just did my own thing. Um, you know, did my research. Uh, I did become director of graduate studies for a while, um, but I found out it interfered with my research, so <laughs> I only did it for about four years. Um, you know, getting into administration does interrupt with your research productivity. There's no two ways about that. So if you're from the UK, you bring to the US, you bounce around the Midwest, how did you end up at the Norwegian University of Sports Science? Well, um, the the it, it that's uh, I'll give you the very short version. Um, <laughs> I I became head of unit at Illinois, head of the kinesiology for a short while, and the dean that we had at the time, well, in one year he took three hundred thousand dollars out of the department to give to another to give to another department. Um, you know, he just wouldn't give us the money back for the people who had left or retired and things like that. And, and of course, that, that affected the department. So um, I had an argument with him and the, the, the head of department prior to, my, to myself was Carl Newell. And, and Carl also had uh, problems with, uh, his name was Mike Ellis. And, 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 and so I said, okay, that's it. I'm going to look to leave. Uh, I interviewed at Birmingham University in England. Um, I, you know, I didn't really mind where I went, uh, but I fancied going back to Europe. And then um, I did a sabbatical at the Norwegian University from um, 93 to 94. And... Uh, uh, you know, and, and I got romantically involved with, uh, um, uh, who's now my wife, um, <laughs> and and um, 
And so, you know, it, when they had a job that was open, they didn't have anybody in Scandinavia who could actually fill it at that particular time. Now there are plenty of people who could fill that kind of a job, but at that time there weren't very many. And so they asked me if I would come and, and, uh, and you know, set up a lab and, uh, and the program here, and I did. And, uh, you know, and I'm really pleased I did it because uh, it, was a, it was a fun thing to do. Um, and they've gone from strength to strength. And, you know, it's when I retired, I was a little bit nonplussed that they was doing so well without me. But that's another story. <laughs> Great. Thank you. So the, the yeah, sorry, Megan. I no, go ahead. You. I, I just, uh, you know, there was, there was one question you had there that I didn't know how to answer. And that is, why did you run for president? <laughs> and um, Well, let's wait for that for a second, Glenn. We'll okay. get to that one in just, uh, in just a moment. I think Megan will ask um, okay. kind of a bridge to that. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, so we'd really like to get a snapshot of the field of sports psychology as well as um, the organization prior to your presidential service. So how would you describe the field and ask prior um, and then anything that you feel like was particularly relevant or significant about the field? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Um, the, there were a lot of things going on in, in, in sports psychology and in science and psychology in general um, around, around that time. Um, the, the you know the, the the zeitgeist was changing to some extent, um, but the the interesting thing that happened in the U.S. Um, it, it, and it's very very unfortunate, but you know with the with the, particularly in the eighties when you, we had some of the financial difficulties, and so universities were looking to close programs. And for example, geography became a very popular program to cut from universities. And I, you know, my, my, my take on it is that these uh, chancellors and vice provosts were talking at general meetings and said, well, what did you do to save money? Oh, I got rid of geography. I, I, you know, I did this and I did that. And so the other thing that happened is that um, sports psychology was... You know, it was at the research one universities once upon a time, absolutely, you know, full, strong. But then over time, sports psychology got cut from, from, the, um, uh, from the research one universities, from the, from the big guys, the big guns. Um, and what, what, what happened is that it was exercise and health psychology that became popular. And so people shifted, those people who were able to, shifted into health and, 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 and exercise psychology because it was fundable. And, 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 and sports psychology wasn't as fundable. And so that's why I, I, had, I had a dean um, of, of a, a Research One University who said to me, well, we, we can't afford to do sports psychology anymore. Um, we're, we're turning t totally to exercise psychology. We're getting, we're not doing any more sports psychology. And he was a sports psychologist. Hmm. I'm, 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 I won't name names, but I mean, you know, it, but he was, he was doing what he thought he had to do. So, so what happened is that the Research One universities were getting rid of programs and you know I think that had a negative impact on the quality of the of the research and and scholarship um, that started to appear into ASP to be honest with you I honestly think that and I'm not the only one who thinks this of course um, that the 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 it, the unintended consequences of this was the fact that um, the research direction of ASP uh, was not quite as as as, as um, scientifically <laughs> scientifically oriented. I have a dog too. 
um, that was was not as scientifically oriented as as, as it ha- had been in the past, and um, and 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 this bothered quite a quite a few of us. Um, that uh, you know the research one universities were, um, were 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 you know getting rid of sports psychology, and actually you know now you remind me Sarkis Papianu from Greece did a study. He looked at the research um, that was going on in um, uh, from 1997 to 2007. And he looked at congresses, he looked at journals, and he looked at uh, meetings like ASP and things like this. I was looking at, you know, who, who are the people who are doing the research? And at that time, uh, the, during that time period, um, 66% of the, of, of the research was coming out of the United States. And the rest of the research was coming from elsewhere. But over the, the, that period, it was ebbing, it was dropping and dropping. And then in, for my presidential address, I did a study where I looked at the corresponding authors for all of the major journals that we have and looked at you know, where they were from. And then um, the figures may have escaped me, I have it somewhere here, but um, the, 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 the percentage of research coming out of the US was down to 17%. Wow. And the research from Europe was 30%. And that is something that's actually gone on since then. Europe is very strong in sports psychology. I mean, it, it's, going, it's, going, it's going great guns. Um, and a lot of those people do come to ASP, uh, I'm pleased to say. Um, the Pacific Rim, um, also in Australia and Canada, needless to say, uh, and the UK, uh, you know, were, were, were quite strong. And in, in, in Sarkis's research, there, I think there was one from South America and one from one paper only in that 10 year period from Africa. And that is changing a little, but not much. So what was happening is that, um, in my mind, the quality of scholarship at ASP was actually dropping. And that was actually one of the reasons uh, why I wanted to, to become president, to see if I could change it. Yeah, let's dive uh, into that, Glenn. So yeah. you said the quality of research and trying to improve that was one reason. Why else, or what specifically motivated you to run for president? Well, it was it was that to try to see if I could restore what I called the scientist practitioner model, um, and 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 then the other thing is that. ASP was going through some internal troubles at the time, um, and uh, it involved the previous um, firm that was uh, doing our, you know, uh, doing doing the administration of of ASP. Um, some people were not happy with it, and 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 so on and so forth. And then during my presidency, I actually we had to change and select another person who is the person that's there today. Um, so, so, yeah, you know, there, there, there were several things going on and several people wanted me to run, even though I was in Europe then, and I, d- I didn't think it was kind of appropriate, but um, they wanted some of the, you know, quote-unquote, uh, strong-willed <laughs> 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 to maybe see if they, we could do something um, about about that. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's um, it's it's it it was a strange period. Uh, actually, um, I found during that time. I think um, ASP, uh, you know, has um, it, it. It's not going in quite the directions I would like to go. But of course, you know. Uh, I'm now part of the past, and so it's up to the current uh, 
generation and the new generation to try and give some more direction to ASP. Glenn, with your extensive history in the organization, were there other times where you had considered running for president or this was kind of the first time that you felt like this is a good time? This is when I feel like is most beneficial. I can benefit the organization. Or were there other times that maybe throughout your time that you thought maybe this is a time as well? It was, it, it, it was, um, no, I, I, I actually did run, uh, uh, for president. I've forgotten the year. It, 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 I think it was 94. Yeah, I think it was 94 because my father died and I went off to Europe during the Congress. I, I, I couldn't attend the Congress and, you know, ASP has never, elected a president who actually wasn't at the Congress. <laughs> mm, interesting. So, so it was, now who was, who was it that I was running against at the time? That would have been, um, oh yeah, the guy from, from Kentucky. Um, ah, having, having a senior moment there, but um, I can't remember his name. But, uh, but, but yes, so I did, I did run before, but that was uh, some time ago. Um, and then I became, actually, uh, I became president of uh, of FEPSAC, the European Federation, and so I didn't think um, I would I would do anything with 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 ASP, obviously, uh, while while all of that was going on. But then, when I did run, several people asked me to run because you know they wanted uh, somebody maybe to steer it in a slightly different direction (laughs) sure not that we succeeded but um, (laughs) but, in looking uh, at your bio it seems like you've been president of quite a few organizations yeah yeah it's um you know this this is one of the problems of being long in the tooth in the profession (laughs) Or being really good. No, I'm serious about this. You know, it's um, like when I was with IAAP, the International Association of Applied Psychology, um, I was on the board of directors. And in fact, I've just been reappointed onto the board of directors uh, uh, now for the next uh, five years. But I was on the board of directors and they, they, they said to me, you know, we, we need sports psychology as part of uh, IAP. And of course I said, yeah, okay. So, so I set it up and set, you know, got the thing there. And then, of course, they said, well, you have to be the first president. So that's how, it, so that's how I became president. They gotcha. Of, <laughs> of, of that. Yeah, well, that's right, you know, they, with one hand high up my back as they had it. But... <laughs> But yeah, um, so so that's how I became uh, president of uh, IAAP, uh, uh, the, the division of sports psychology, I should say, not the whole president. But and and it's still going, it's going well today. It's going strong. That's great. And then the and then the European one was also a little strange because Stuart Biddle stepped down. And and there was a bit of fight going on about uh, who who should be the president, and uh, you know, and Stuart asked me to run. He said as a as a kind of a a compromise. And so I did, and I I got in by not many votes, but I got in, uh, and so I was president there for four years too. Hmm. Um, that wasn't a very good decision on my part, but anyway. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of work involved with them. For sure. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. And, it, and especially we, we talk about this on the podcast, is it really is such a short period of time to be president. And so to have initiatives and see them through, it's, it, it's incredible that anything gets done, honestly. Well, that's true. But that's where you get the executive directors. That's where their function comes to mm-hmm. the fore because that's where you, know, you set policy and they're supposed to try to execute it. Um, so, so I think ASP is in better shape than some other associations for that. Um, uh, like NASPA has just appointed the last two years uh, an executive director who will also give some direction to 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 NASPA. So, it's um, 
you know, yeah, it, the executive director is very important for pushing through on any initiatives and missions. Um, so, yeah. For sure. You mentioned this a bit already, but what were you hoping to accomplish in your time as ASP president? Well, I, I wanted to push the scientist practitioner model. I wanted us to go back to... Um, let me say something unkind. Um, a lot of the research in ASP has become the pursuit of functional relationships. You know, it's the, they, you know, you try to get the, you know, this and that, and then of course there's a lot of uh, qualitative research, uh, storytelling. Um, not against it because I do it myself. Uh, it's great for giving context, but it's not science. Scholarship, it's good work and everything like that, but it's not science. It doesn't give you cause and effect. And I think one of the really important things that uh, ASP needs to do in the future, um, and this is, was, was one of my missions, is actually to work on the cause and effect. Um, um, you know, find out you know, what it is that's going on. Um, uh, I, I, I wrote some notes somewhere. Wonder when I, oh yeah, here it is. Gosh, I found it. Um, in 2004, Shane Murphy, previous president, uh, gave an important message in, in his Coleman Griffith talk, and it was called Smart Interventions, How Theory Guides Practice in Applied Sports Psychology. And, you know, he, he was arguing that, that theory gives... Um, the 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 uh, the applied field the, the direction that it should go in, and uh, and you know and I think um, you know Dan Landers even earlier than that um, had a paper and I, I may have misused the title of it, but it was something like um, whatever happened to theory testing in sports psychology. And, and I think that's what is, in my mind, is, is missing a little bit in, in, in ASP at the moment. And that is, 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 is more dedication to theory, to try to build theory in, into, into your research so that you have some cause and effect kind of um, um, possibilities uh, to find out, you know, what is the psychological phenomenon underlying this particular, um, you know, phenomenon you're looking at. So, so that's that's um, you know where I am, which is a, an unkind thing to say, but um, but I think this is one of the effects of moving away from the research one universities. I'm going down to to the to the the second tier of universities, if you like. I mean, all good in their own re respect, of course, but there's less emphasis on res research for those um, some of those universities. Um, so yeah, you know, it's I'm you know I'm a grumpy old man. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> glad you be, you mentioned moaning, yeah. You mentioned it kind of in passing that you wanted to do it, but you said a couple of times, like maybe you weren't successful or maybe you didn't do as much as you wanted. So um, what kind of, what would you say the, the biggest challenge was to making that change happen during your presidency? Well, you know, I gave I, my presidential address, for example, I tried to do it um, by, you know, uh, helping the people when they were selecting papers and things like that to be a little bit more rigorous on, on you know, how you, how you accept papers and what you accept. Um, because what's, what happens is that you get, you know, some, some people, some former presidents even, who won't present their research now in, in, in ASS because, they, 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 because of, of what I've just mentioned, the fact they don't think it is very very much a research oriented institution as much as it used to be in the past um, so so I, I, my presidential address was based upon 
the fact that we have to move more towards a, um, a scientist-practitioner model and we need to you know, look at theory more, 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 more clearly and, and, and add it into our, into, into, into our models. Um, I don't think it's happened. And in fact, you know, um, ASP has done a, a couple of things that I don't agree with. Like, for example, one of the scientists kind of, um, we had the, 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 the Coleman Griffith lecture and it was all up until recently. It was very much um, a scientist. You know, people come and talk about scientists, how you can apply it to your to your field and things like this. And then what they did, they changed that. They cut it to half an hour, and they sometimes have interviews uh, and things like that. And I think they've ripped the heart out of some of the scholarship that used to be in there. Um, now that's a very cruel thing to say, but I think, but that's that's how I think. Yeah, we we really appreciate that perspective. You're not the first person to bring up um, something very similar. Um, okay. And for those of you who may be interested in the paper that Dr. Roberts mentioned, it's called um, "Whatever Happened to Theory Testing in Sports Psychology?" from the Journal of Sports Psychology in 1983. Is the article by by Dan Landers? You mean? Yes, correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that 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 sounds about right. All all that way back, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that it was '83 that you were yeah. saying that. So it's something. Yet I, I know we've heard quite a bit recently on the podcast, but it sounds like it's something that has been a challenge in the field for a long time. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. Um, and you know, and this is where, just to give you a a contrast, um, this is where Europe has has actually gone the opposite direction to some extent. You know, FEPSAC now, um, you know, they're, they're now going to go, they used to be meeting once every four years, now they're going to go to meeting every two years. But FEPSAC was always very strong on the science side. Um, and, but, and the other thing about FEPSAC, of course, it, 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 it is not only um, sports psychology, it's also motor learning control and, 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 and so on. So, it's, so it, it goes across the gamut um, a little bit. Hmm. Glenn, in your perspective, you mentioned the hiring of a new managing director while you were president. And we've talked a lot about how three years is a short amount of time to accomplish really anything. What would you say your main accomplishments as president were? Um, <laughs> I kept the seat warm for three. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I, you know, I, I, I tried very hard to do this scientist practitioner model to try to get, uh, you know, get more psych psychological science in in into the research and so on. Uh, I, I don't think it's happened, uh, to be very honest. Um, so if that was my main goal to become president, which it was, to be frank, um, then, you know, I don't think I succeeded very well. Um, I, you know, it's, uh, yeah, interesting. Hmm. We're going to take a little bit of a story break, so we're going to veer away from this. And we would love you to tell a fun story about your time in the field. So anything goes whatever you'd like to share that just brings a smile to your face. And we love it to involve other ASP members, other members in sports psychology. You mentioned the golfing story with your Nobel Prize um, individual, <laughs> but any other stories that bring a smile to your face is well, uh, we would love to hear. Well, actually, um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it brings a smile to my face, but it's not really amusing in many ways. But... Many years ago, Tara Scanlon um, said to me, okay, Glenn, because of your name, you're going to be the parliamentarian. <laughs> so, I, so I said, well, okay, I'll do it. I mean, I know Robert's rules of orders, more or less, and so on and so forth sort of thing. But I've been the parliamentarian ever since. <laughs> I, I mean, every president asked me to be the parliamentarian, you know. I mean, you know, it's, it's, so it's become a little bit of a joke, to be honest. You know, <laughs> so my contribution these days to, uh, to, to ASP is to be the parliamentarian. 
<laughs> when you demonstrate that competence, you just keep getting asked more and more. Well, the, the, the thing is, it, it is amazing that a lot of people do not know how to run a meeting. Yes, you I know, agree. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so all you've got to do is, you know, I, I've got a crib sheet that I look at, you know, and if anybody asks me a question, I, I, I uh, have a crib sheet. What dog do you have? Uh, he's a mutt. He's definitely, oh, okay. uh, he's all over. Okay. <laughs> I think but, uh, um, even now yeah. in those, in the business meetings and whenever people ask and they're like, I have a point of order and someone will say like, I don't think you can. And then it's just like chaos till people decide whether or not they can or can't. <laughs> no, I, you know, I've, um, uh, you know, when I've, when I've, uh, uh, been the parliamentarian for ASP. When was the last time? When was the last time I was there? I wasn't there last time, but the time before that. Um, I, I, again, I just keep a, a crib sheet, you know. If somebody makes a point of order or somebody has a, an amendment and things like that, you just follow the track. It's not that difficult. <laughs> but then, but then, but then what happens is that, they, that people don't know that you have to vote on each item before you can get to the main one you know so it's so that's why they need a parliamentarian um just to, to keep keep them on track <laughs> that's a great story and it's more history of the field we're learning so much um so we've talked about this a bit but we'd love to hear any other thoughts that you have about um how the field has evolved um and then what are your thoughts about that evolution maybe well, I, I, I think the field, um, you know, is alive and well and thriving. Um, and I think ASP is alive and well and thriving. But it's, it's you know, if you look at the numbers, it, it obviously is thriving. But, um, you know, but, you know part, the things that I kind of uh, regret of what I've already said is that, is, you know, I... I don't think they pay enough attention to the scientist-practitioner uh, model, but the field itself, I think, um, boy, there's some really good people out there doing some really nice work. And, and uh, you know, so I, 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 I think the field itself is, is, is thriving. And, you know, in, in Europe, it's really um, thriving because, because, you know, the, the thing in Europe, it is at the Research One universities. It is at the top top universities, so so I think the field, um, to be honest with you, is 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 you know nothing wrong there. You know every every organization, whether it's IAP or FEPSAC or ASP or NASPA, they get more and more people every year. So so you know I think the. The field itself um, is thriving, and I, you know, I don't know. You, you guys are not old enough to know this, but you know, the APA had a very, very similar experience. In the eighties, um, the clinicians took over the APA, and the scientists got really bothered by that. And in fact, what they did is they broke off and, 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 and came up with a rival organization called the um, Association for Psychological Science, which still is alive and well with 20,000 members. And, and, and as it happened, APA uh, saw the error of its ways and then did start to uh, incorporate more and more science into in, into its approaches, and it just wasn't clinical, just wasn't you know how to do this and and, and so on, and I think, you know, I, my my wish is that um, a similar thing would happen um, to 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 ASP. Um, was it is it uh, Sean McCann said that ASP needs whenever he was president that ASP needs to have a Boulder conference. And the Boulder conference was when APA met together to decide, obviously in Boulder, 
um, to, to decide on the directions that it was going to go. And, uh, and, and, and Shane said, uh, Sean said that, you know, that maybe we need to do that to have a really sit-down conference and, and, and talk about the, the progress and the future of, of ASP. One thing that I really love about interviewing you, Glenn, is the, the one, the, the knowledge of the organization that you're bringing in, but also the perspective of the different organizations because you've been involved in so many of them. Because I think sometimes we think of um, ASP as like this one singular unit and we don't really put it in the context of every unit is growing or changing or modifying. Um, so I like this next question with especially that kind of viewpoint. So you've seen a lot of other organizations grow and change and modify. So where do you think ASP and the field are going in the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years? Where do you think ASP is going? Where's that direction that you see them heading? I'm not sure. Um, I, you know, I... I I, I, um, I see them going more and more to the applied and less and less to, to, to the science behind it. And I've, I, you know, I, I, I personally don't think that's, that's the way to go, but um, you know, maybe a, a more insightful president will come along and, and give some, some direction. But to be honest with you, I don't know. I have more confidence in some of the other organizations of which I'm a member. You know, um, FEPSAC, for example, I think is on, really on the right track. Um, they, you know, maybe complain that they do too much of that, but but that but that but you know, to me, there can't be too much. But um, <laughs> but um, you know, so so yeah, no, it's a good question, and I don't have an answer. I'm afraid it's. Uh, I'm not really too sure exactly where ASP is going in the future. Hmm. In some ways, I of, think. Oh, sorry. I didn't go know. on. I, I, in some ways, I think that answer is a really important answer because maybe it's eliciting like a bigger picture of kind of what you mentioned about the direction of ASP, and that maybe nobody really knows, and so. The fact that like people who've been in the field for so long have maybe it's not clear cut. I think um, so. I think your answer of like I don't know is actually like a really important answer. Well, <laughs> it's ducking the question as well. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say that. <laughs> um, but um, anyway, yeah, but. Um, yeah, it, well, this has been an interesting experience. I've, I've, you've made me think of things I haven't thought of for quite a while. <laughs> so with that, what advice do you have for students and new professionals entering into the field now? Oh, well, I mean, you can probably guess what I'm going to say. Know your psychology. Um, you know, it's it's you know. I find that so many of the young people who come into the field, the first thing they want to do, they want to go out immediately and do some stress managing, or, or they want to do some mindfulness stuff, and you know, and 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 that's all very well because that's what attracts them into the field. But on the other hand, they need to know what's behind stress management. They need to know what's behind mindfulness, etc. They they need to understand. The, the phenomena that they're dealing with. Um, so I, you know, they. I I would argue very much that you 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 get to know your psychology. Strangely as it may sound, but my grand nephew in Australia is actually going to be a. Um, he's in the sports psychology program at Flinders University in Adelaide, and uh, my nephew asked me to. You know, do you have any advice for him, Glenn? You know, <laughs> and that's about what, what I said. You know, tell him to make sure he, he does his psychology well, uh, because that's what allows you to troubleshoot. You know, when you know your psychology, when you when when things are not working right, you know what to do to make them work right. Because you know, the the people who just have a technique and work on the technique, if it doesn't work, they don't know why. So you know, this is where you need to know your psychology. And know know how to troubleshoot when you know 
when when things when things go wrong, how do you put it right? So th that would be my advice. Know your psych. <laughs> The idea of knowing how to troubleshoot is really great advice. Um, I'm probably going to, I have class with my grad class this afternoon. I am probably going to steal that. So thank you. I will credit you. I'll credit <laughs> you. But That's, I think, because uh, I think when we have students who are going into the field and they're under supervision and myself too, is you have this moment of like, I don't know what to do. But I think when you have that psychology and you know how to troubleshoot, like, yes, you right. know what to do. You just have to like keep thinking. Yeah, but it, it's also it's also very important to know when you're out of your depth and For competence sure. too. Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I I always remember um, a few of us were talking. You know, those of us who were who actually learned on the job. To be honest, because we didn't have mentors. You must remember, in the sixties and seventies, and I always remember. Um, Wayne Halliwell and we were we were talking, and you know, we 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 you know we'd been doing this sports psychology here and there. And then Wayne Hallowell goes, you know what? I've often, uh, he's worked with many professional teams. He says, I've often wished I could go, go back to them and say, can I do a do-over? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he says, I now know so much about what I, you know, what, what I was doing wrong at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it's, that is so important that you know your psychology, I think. Um, and, 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 you know, as I say, you know, always read. Always, always try to learn more. Well, and I love that, that response as well, Glenn, because you're almost saying there's a key component of reflection associated with it as well, of reflection with a critical eye, but maybe not a... Um, negative eye possibly you know what could i have done differently what have i learned that makes these things make sense more and so that self self-realization and that self-reflection and really thinking through of like how am i growing how am i modifying which i think is a pretty nice kind of lens of your entire interview of how how am i growing how am i keeping moving forward how am i doing what i want to be doing and how am i improving as i move forward which is a really nice kind of element to think through of all of us as professionals yeah, good point. I like that. Collaboration, all the all the places. Glenn, yeah. what do you hope your impact on the field is going to be? Well, currently you know, is. I, you know, as I'm now a retiree, it's happened. So maybe you can tell me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, um, uh, you know, those. My impact in the field, I think was early on, where we popularized uh, cognitive social psychology and, 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 and things like that. So, you know, and I, I've just gone on from there. I, I you know, I, I, I think my contribution was early uh, in helping to popularize and promote uh, sports psychology as a field of study and, and, and so on. Because, you know, when I went to Illinois as a student, we did not have a sports psychology course. That's why we went into, into psychology. Um, that's how we, 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 we you know, because I, I, I had a double major when I, when I, when I finished um, uh, at Illinois. Um, because we didn't have it. Uh, we had motor learning, uh, but we did not have sports psychology. It was that new incredible to think that the program at one point didn't have sports psychology and then all of the people who came through that program who really made the field what it is so when yeah 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 you know illinois i think in retrospect um illinois was very important because i mean just look at the people that churned out um and, uh, you know, it's now gone. Oh, there's no sports psychology at Illinois anymore, of course. Um, you know, Coleman Griffith was the first and I was the last. <laughs> because what do they, they say? They not... save the best for last? Isn't that the, the same? <laughs> no, I, I, you know, obviously what I was doing was not that good or something. <laughs> oh, I was going to say the opposite. What an incredible bookend of like 
taking a legacy like Coleman Griffith and then continuing that and, and seeing that through. And Eric and I both went to Miami. So we're direct, we're in that direct lineage almost through Dr. Reilly um, as well. So, Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Robin, how, how's she doing? All right. She's doing great. She's great. Her podcast episode was a good one. If you want to listen to that one too, you're okay. mentioned in it. So. Oh, okay. Glenn, we well, talked mentioned- about, Oh, sorry. I was going to say, we've talked about a lot of things, um, but what haven't we asked about that you think is important to share either about the field, ASP, the future, anything that's there? What, what haven't we asked about that you think we should? Um, I, I, don't think, I don't think there's anything that, that I'd want to um, add on that, to be honest. Um, the, the only thing... Um, I would just make a, a comment. That's all. Is that the 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 nice thing about going to NASPA as opposed to um, ASP is the fact that NASPA has all of the psychological sciences in kinesiology represented there, including exercise um, and psychology. Now ASP is basically getting rid of exercise psychology. And I think it's going to be the largest um, growth area in, 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 in our field of psychology is exercise and health psychology. I mean, with all of the obesity in the world from you know, children to adults and, um, and so on, and, and, and you know, ex, you know we all know that um, uh, an active lifestyle, uh, you know, is, is good for your health and so on. So it's, you know, I think that's a huge area. And I think it's a mis- it was a mistake for ASP to not sponsor that much more than it has done. Mm-hmm. So that's, those are my two cents worth, I guess. It's <laughs> <laughs> an important point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you again so much. We can't be more grateful for you taking some time to talk to us about your experience and sharing all of your stories and all of your advice with us. I know um, it means it means a lot to us that you were willing to take take out some time to talk to us. So thank oh, you. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's yeah. a pleasure. Yeah. So and best so of luck with the project. Of, oh, on behalf of the entire team, we've asked. Dr. Glenn Roberts has answered and we will see you all next time. Thank you, folks. <laughs>